Hi, I'm Andy Yerkes, and you're listening to the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. It's Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Roll it. Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Jake's Happiness Hour Show, where nostalgia comes alive. Happy to be here with us. Thank you for joining. As always, I'm your host, Jake Duffenbaugh, which is always our co-host, Chris Bixby, and Matt Bingo. How you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Hello, everybody. How you doing? What's good to hear, Jakey? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking, Matt. What do we have for today? Our special guest today is a three-time daytime Emmy Award-winning writer and story editor. Try saying that three times fast. Uh, in basically, to put it in short, she wrote your childhood, folks. Pretty much, Sesame Street, Goa Goa Island, Dragon Tales. These are just three of many shows that she wrote for throughout her career, which we'll get into. Please welcome Karen Greenberg. Karen, welcome. Happy to have you here. Hi. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Happy to have Absolutely. you here. Very happy to have you here. It's so, the, to, yes, to kick this off, uh, I kind of introduced you a little bit, but in your own words, would you care to introduce yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, so, uh, as I, you mentioned, I'm Karen Greenberg. I've been uh, writing, story editing, developing, and producing children's entertainment for about 35 years now. Uh, I started out writing children's books. I wrote Nancy Drew Mysteries. I had my own uh, seven book series with Penguin called Karate Club, for those of you who may have read that when you were young. And then in 1991, I got my lucky break uh, in children's television on the TV series Ghostwriter, the original, not the uh, one that's currently on Apple, uh, as head writer of that show. And that kind of launched my career in children's television. I will say, while I have done a few small Sesame Street projects, I'm not a writer for the TV series, uh, but I've worked Mm -hmm. for shows on Nick Jr., Disney, PBS, and more recently, some of the streamers like Amazon and Apple, and I have a new series uh, in production now for PBS again, so I've kind of come full circle. That's kind of an overview. Awesome. That's great. Nice. So what was your background like, and how did you grow up? So I grew up in an entertainment family, and I tried to rebel against that initially. Uh, My mom was a professional actress for many years. She was on Broadway in the original Fiddler on the Roof and had many roles on television, singer-actress. And my dad was originally a a career officer in the United States Air Force. Uh, But then in the 70s, his brother, my uncle Ron, Ron Greenberg, uh, was a TV game show producer. So my dad went to work for my uncle, uh, producing TV game shows on NBC. And then I started out as a child actress uh, when I was a kid. So I used to do commercials. I was in the summer stock production of Fiddler with my mother. I was on a radio soap opera. I did some TV, small TV parts. Um, So growing up in an entertainment family, I realized it's kind of an unstable career in that you may be lucky enough to get a gig, but then the gig is over and then you don't know where your next job is coming from. 
we were always waiting to see if my uncle's shows were going to get picked up because that would determine if we got to go to the fancy camp, uh, summer camp or no camp at all. And, you know, auditioning as a kid, I auditioned for Broadway shows. I got called back a lot, uh, but was often rejected. And I just thought, oh my God, show business is a horrible profession. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So uh, when I was 10, I decided to become a lawyer. Uh, and I did go to law school for a year. Uh, but when I got to law school, I went to Georgetown in Washington, DC. Uh, I started writing songs based on the cases we read and I formed a singing group called Karen and the Illegal Fruits, which is a Fourth Amendment joke for anyone who follows the law. Um, and we started performing uh, songs and I wrote a little play and I kind of took the legal material and turned it into entertainment. And then I developed an ulcer and quickly realized the ulcer was because I was in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. And uh, also at the end of my senior year of college, I started to write a novel. It just started pouring out of me. I didn't know where it was coming from. Uh, so the combination of being in law school, realizing that that was not the right path for me, and the fact that I was just writing kind of naturally um, when I was, so I was 20 when I was in law school, I graduated a year early. Uh, and I asked myself the question, 50 years from now, when I look back on my life, what choice would I rather say I made? I'm a writer, but I could have been a lawyer, or I'm a lawyer, but I could have been a writer. And the answer was so clear. I thought, I'm at the beginning of my life. I can make that choice now. I don't have to look back in regret. So I dropped out of law school, moved back home with my parents, who were not too happy to see me. Um, and I initially... Uh, I didn't know how to become a professional writer. So um, there were a lot of people, I grew up in the suburbs of New York. A lot of people worked in advertising and I learned about the career of copywriter, which is someone who writes advertisements. So I took a secretarial job at an ad agency, Benton and Bowles. I started, um, you know, kind of understanding what advertising was all about and I put a portfolio of ads together as a copywriter and I ended up getting a job uh, as a copywriter and I ended up doing that for eight years uh, at a variety of different agencies and then a friend of my mom's uh, who worked at children's television workshop in the curriculum department happened to mention to my mother that there was a new mystery series in development at the workshop um, and at this point I had started writing children's books. So, uh, so uh, this friend who worked at the workshop mentioned that there was a company called mega books in New York city that packaged books for different publishers, including the Nancy Drew mysteries, the Hardy boys, the Bobsy twins, and a whole bunch of others. And they were looking for writers to write mysteries. So, um, my mother mentioned it to me and I wrote a sample chapter trying to get, you know, maybe I thought if I'm lucky, maybe they'll hire me to write a Nancy Drew mystery. It, it did work out. I wrote a bunch of Nancy Drews. Then I wrote uh, my own book series. I wrote some young adult fiction. So I had started writing books, uh, was still kind of half, half working in advertising, writing books on the side. And the same friend that worked at the workshop then mentioned to my mother, that they were developing a mystery series. And I had written Nancy Drew books at that point. I also got an assistant job on a soap opera. I was an assistant to the head writer of Guiding Light for about three months. So I started to learn about television production and I wrote a spec script for the soap that I worked on. 
And I also got into a writing program at, through the Writers Guild and wrote a spec sitcom script. So when my mother's friend mentioned they were looking for a writer for this kid's mystery show that the workshop was doing, I thought, you know, let me try to get in touch with her. Let me submit my samples. Maybe uh, if I'm lucky, they'll hire me to write a script on this mystery series. And um, to my great surprise, they actually hired me to be the co-head writer of the show. I guess I had the right combination of, you know, they saw I could write TV. I had written a lot of mysteries for kids and uh, Ghost Writer was the name of the show. It didn't, I guess it wasn't named at that point. It was just called The Literacy Show. So it was a mystery series about six kids who live in Brooklyn who solve mysteries with the help of a ghost who reads and writes to them. Um, so I had a good background to write that kind of story. Um, and so that was my start. That was 1991. And they partnered me with um, a guy named Kermit Fraser, who is still a dear friend to this day. Uh, he was an experienced primetime sitcom writer and a pl playwright. He's written many, many plays. So they partnered us up. I had the kids in the mystery background and he had, you know, much more substantial TV background. So that was my first gig. Nice. Awesome. Absolutely. Very, very, very nice. So uh, speaking of Ghost Writer, what, transitioning into that, what was it like writing for that show? Oh, it's still one of my favorite shows of all time to work on. Um, very challenging. So in addition to writing a kid-relatable mystery that had peril, but not too much peril because it's for kids, so you can't get into too much danger, um, you know, the brief of the show was to create um, a format where reading and writing were critical to solving the mystery. So we had to find a way to integrate reading or writing something into every story multiple times per episode. So the way we formatted the show was four half hour episodes made up one complete story. We had one five-parter and twice per half hour, we had to fit some kind of reading or writing into the story. Um, but fortunately, uh, uh, Rita Weisskopf, who's the friend of my mom's who gave me all these interesting uh, clues to my career uh, and help getting in, uh, she was the head of curriculum on the show. So we worked very closely with Rita and her associates to work the curriculum organically into the story, not we interrupt this story to go do some boring you know, learning thing, but to make it fun. And uh, as Rita called it, it was literacy on the plot line. And I still, everything I learned on the show, I still incorporate. I'm doing a new show for PBS right now with a different curriculum, but it's the same idea where the learning is part of the fun. Um, so it was very challenging, but it was also such a great experience. I'm so grateful uh, to Miranda Berry, who was the supervising producer who took a chance on me, you know, I'd only written uh, children's books at that point and a couple spec scripts. And I worked as an assistant on a soap. For, so for her to hire me to be co-head writer with almost no experience, uh, I'm grateful that she took a chance on me. Um, and I learned so much about writing, about story structure, and also about writing for television, which is a very different um, form of writing than any other. Definitely. So 
Now, uh, as we also mentioned in your introduction, you also got to write for various uh, Sesame Street projects outside of the show, of course, including outreach videos and one of their international co-productions. Can you kind of touch base about your uh, work with them? Sure. Uh, so I wrote two what they call direct video, uh, you know, now the sort of thing that you would watch on a website. Um, I did one on emergency preparedness. Um, and I also wrote one uh, called Math is Everywhere about how math is part of everyday experiences, measuring when you're baking or, uh, you know, any number of, of activities. I also did some development work with the workshop, uh, developed a few projects, uh, none of which sadly uh became series but um yeah but it was so fun going back because it had been about 10 or 15 years since i worked on ghostwriter and uh we produced the first of the two videos in the office and it was so fun just to sit there with my producer and see all the people walk by who i'd worked with on ghostwriter uh you know so many people have made their careers at the workshop and it was nice to uh see everyone again definitely Absolutely. So you also wrote a handful of episodes of the, for the Nick Jr. series called Girl Island. What was that show like for you? Oh, that was a great show. Um, so uh, Kaz Hyman, who'd been a staff writer on Ghost Writer, developed uh, and created the show with um, Maria Perez and Kathy Minton. And he was the original head writer, uh, and it was a preschool show. So Ghost Writer, my first show, was what they call a tween show. It was for like 8 to 12-year-olds. Um, so that was my first show, live-action tween show. And Gullah Gullah Island was a preschool show. And Kaz uh, wanted to hire me to write scripts, and I was eager to do so. Uh, but I think initially there was some question about whether or not I could write preschool and Kaz Hyman stuck his neck out for me. Again, very grateful to people who took a chance on me. So writing for preschool was a very different audience than writing for older kids. Um, but it was a delightful show. So charming with uh, Natalie and Ron Days, who were oh, yeah. creators and the hosts of the show. And some of their kids were actually playing their kids on the show. Right. Uh, I it was real. Mm -hmm. So I started out writing episodes for the series. And in the last season, I became the head writer of the show. So I got to go to Orlando and live there for a couple months and, you know, work in the studio, which is always fun because, you know, once you write the script, your work is not over as a writer. So, you know, I'll, I'd be sitting in my office with what they call a feed where you have, um, you know, a computer or a TV monitor in your office. So you can see what they're shooting in the studio on the first floor, like I was up a couple floors. Um, and every so often they'd call me down and say, you know, we need to cut 45 seconds out of this script. You know, you'd have to kind of work on the fly and, uh, mm. you know, make some last minute changes. Um, but it was a really fun show to write for. That was more of a, it was fiction, it was scripted, but it was more, you know, a theme and songs around the theme, more, more a little bit story with a little variety element. Absolutely. And we actually previously chatted with one of the, one of the kids of that show, I'm Sh Shanna Gonzalez. She's wonderful. Oh, yeah. She's All grown uh, up. <laughs> yes. All grown up, <laughs> yeah. Now mom and Something kids. Really it's just, you know, it's, that's just wonderful. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I'm not. I had a doubt that she that she showed that show to her kids, which is so wonderful. 
You know, my mm -hmm. daughter, who is now 29, is in the opening sequence of Gullah Gullah Island. She's one of the little kids hopping along after Binya Binya Pollywog. And in the Christmas episode, the one uh, where one of the boys dressed up as Elvis, um, my daughter played one of the elves. So that's oh, nice. Oh, wow. No kidding. That's cool. Wow. wow nice. And actually, uh. this, this is a funny story. Uh, a couple years ago, I won an Emmy for uh, Tumble Leaf, which is uh, an Amazon Prime animated show. And we were presented our award by a couple, you know, a man and a woman who were actors. And, you know, I hadn't listened too closely to what their credits were. Uh, but, you know, they presented us with the award. And then the next day I was on Instagram and Cass Hyman of Gullah Gullah, he texted me, he said, oh, did you see Vanessa Baden from Gullah Gullah last night at the Emmys? And I was like, no, I don't think so. You know, you know, send me a photo. And it turns out Vanessa was one of the two people who presented us with our award. She's all grown up. She's actually now a primetime writer on many shows like The Sex Lives of College Girls on Netflix. She's got huge credits and she's still acting. But anyway, she was wow. like all grown up and, and she had been to my apartment. Like we had a Halloween party when we were down in Orlando and all the kids came over for a little party. Oh, so nice. I knew her as a little wow. girl and there mm. she was on the stage. I didn't even know it was Vanessa. So that was kind of a fun reunion. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, full circle moment. Yes. Definitely. And since uh, Gullah Gullah Island, you've also written a lot of other uh wonderful shows for nick jr like dora backyardigans wonder pets what, what, what were those shows like well every show is different so you know my career has been a series of steps of diving into something i've never done before and it's always thanks to someone who said i think she can do it give her a chance so you know writing for animation is completely different than writing for live action in the same way writing for preschool is different from writing for older kids so learning how to write for animation uh, I was also thinking more visually, more physical gags and that kind of thing. Um, Nick Jr. is a great, a great network. Um, they have such a wide variety of shows. Um, you know, every show is different. You know, I worked with some great head writers, Adam Peltzman uh, on Backyardigans, who then went on to create Odd Squad and many other fantastic shows. He's one of the most talented writers I've ever had the pleasure to work with or even just to consume his content. So he was terrific. Uh, I worked with him on Backyardigans and Bubble Guppies. Um, and then I worked again more recently on Bubble Guppies with Alan Newworth, who was the story editor, uh, who's also one of my favorite writers. Um, and, you know, it's every show is different. I did The Winx Club, which is for older, you know, that's a oh, much, yeah. almost mm -hmm. YA kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, mystery adventure dark thriller kind of series um you know i just say every show is different um and i'm grateful for every opportunity whether i was writing or story editing or developing definitely hmm. absolutely yes uh now you've also had the chance for writing a lot of Jim Jenkins projects. Can you talk about working with Jim and writing for his shows? Absolutely. Well, just to continue the theme of people who've taken a chance on me. So I had done live action tween with Ghostwriter and I'd done Gullah Gullah Island and Allegra's Window, which were preschool live action for Nick Jr. And Jim was the showrunner on Allegra's Window. And we had a very nice experience. I was the head writer in the last season. And 
The next project that he was working on was 101 Dalmatians for Disney, the animated series. And since I had, was already working with him and we were having a good experience, he decided to give me a shot being the head writer of 101 Dalmatians. And I had never even written a spec animated script. So I really had no clue about how to write for animation, which I subsequently mm -hmm. learned is a whole different animal. Um, but Jim took a chance on me. Uh, that show was so challenging in that um, I think it had already been in development for a year or a year and a half. And I guess at a certain point they decided we need to go in a new direction. Jim had pitched his take on the show, which everybody loved. But at that point, we only had a year left before the air date, which I guess was set. So we had one year to uh, get 65 half hour episodes produced, which is a very large order. Like I'm sure you guys know from talking to showrunners and, and producers that the typical order, you know, on a network show, maybe it would be 26 half hours in a year, or, you know, now more recently with streaming, it might be 13 or 10 half hour episodes in a year. But in this case, we had to do 65 half hours in a year. And a lot of those were 11 minutes. So it came out to 106 stories in one year. Um, um, and this is wow. plus of people having emails. So wow. mostly it was like people faxing scripts and me handwriting notes and faxing it back. And, and this was before Zoom or any kind of video chat. This was like mm -hmm. 1998. So, you know, people didn't have the technology that we now can take for granted. So it was so challenging just in terms of the volume of work that we had to produce. But we also had um, some excellent producers who were at Disney working with us, uh, Bob Scanaway and Tony, I forget his last name, sorry, Tony, um, who were wonderful. So we ended up making it happen. I mean, I, I remember working on Christmas Eve, everyone else had gone to the Christmas party and I was sitting at the receptionist desk at Jumbo Pictures, which was Jim's company. Um, and the uh, cleaning person was vacuuming around me while I'm on the phone with the writer giving notes and feeling sorry for myself because I was missing out on Christmas um, as many many people on the show did that year just because we worked so hard. Um, I'll tell you another funny story about working for Jim and this is more about David Campbell's sister. David Campbell was Jim Jenkins partner in forming Jumbo Pictures. So when we were developing 101 Dalmatians for Disney um, they, they set the story on a farm and I, you know, grew up in the suburbs of New York. I live in New York city. It's not like I have any experience working on a farm, but David Campbell's uh, sister worked at the company and she had grown up on a farm. So we brought her in to tell us about life on a farm, just as background for writing the show. And she was telling us about how on a farm chickens are considered dirty and stupid and everybody looks down on chickens. And I started feeling sorry for chickens as she was telling me this. And I thought, well, what if we created a chicken character who wasn't dirty and wasn't stupid and became part of the core group? And so if you look up the uh, poster for 101 Dalmatians, you'll see that there's four Dalmatian dogs and a white chicken with black spots whose name was Spot. Uh, so that story was kind of inspired by uh, Jim's partner's sister telling us about life on a farm. But Jim is so incredibly talented, class oh, yeah. act, Absolutely. great guy to work for, so creative and talented. And um, 
I owe him, you know, a big chunk of my career and, you know, my start in animation where I've worked primarily ever since then. So. Absolutely. One of my favorite shows that uh, Jim Jenkins created that you wrote for was the show Stanley. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That was one of my favorite shows growing up. Stanley's such an amazing show. Yeah. That was a wonderful show. That was one of the early uh, Disney Junior shows. Uh, right. Yeah. It was called Playhouse Disney at the time before it came mm-hmm. Disney, Junior, I guess, later on. Um, but that was a great show to work for. Jeff Kindley was the head writer, such a talented writer. Um, you know, the stories were so, you know, educational, but charming and delightful and fun. Um, yeah, that was a great show. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. So on the subject of Disney, you got to write for the series Out of the Box. What was that like? Oh, that was fun. So, you know, as a Writers Guild member, you know, live action shows are covered uh, through the Writers Guild. And uh, we're always grateful to work on live action shows because it pays into your pension and medical. Um, So, uh, you know, getting to work on a live action show was great. And that was a really fun show. Um, I got to go to the studio in Brooklyn where they were shooting, um, was it Silver Cup Studios, if I'm not mistaken? Um, I only wrote a couple episodes, but um, that was a really fun show to write for. Absolutely, and Tony and Vivian are uh, brilliant on that show. Yes. Yes. Absolutely, so now on PBS, as we mentioned earlier, you wrote many episodes for uh, Dragon Tales. Can you kind of talk a bit about uh, how you began working on that show? What sure. it was like. So um, I had worked with some of the folks at Sony uh, on Harold of the Purple Crayon for HBO Family. Oh, yeah. HBO Max, mm-hmm. Max. So those were the same people who were producing Dragon Tales. So initially I pitched and wrote a couple episodes for the show. And later, and actually uh, one of the execs, actually was Bob Higgins, who's still very much working in the industry on amazing projects. And Tara Sorensen, who was very early in her career. She then became the head of Amazon Kids and now is the head of Apple Kids. Um, So, you know, I started out writing a couple episodes for Dragon Tales. And then in the final season, I believe it was the final season, uh, they made me co-story editor uh, with another uh, guy. Uh, We kind of split the season and story edited the episodes. And I will say, um, I had seen the development on Dragon Tales a few years before that. And I remember seeing it, I guess maybe they were, you know, were asking to see if I might have time to help develop the show. And I think at the time I was working on something else, so I didn't have time to work on it. But I remember thinking, you know, it looked really cute. And then later when I actually got to work on the show and do a deeper dive into it, I realized what a lovely show it was. It really celebrated friendship. And I know that sounds so important. And every kid show celebrates friendship, but the way the characters really cared about each other it, it just was kind of, um, it was very soothing to work on the show. It, it gave me a good feeling. And I think, that, you know, watching the episodes, there's just some, there's a warmth and love on that show that I think really communicated both if you were working on it or watching it. Definitely. Yeah. It, I guess it kind of depends on like how you incorporate friendship. Like, as you said, it could be corny that, you know, every show is, friendship involved in it but i guess it's just the way that just the way to go kind of makes it stand out 
Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a very adventurous show too, because uh, oh yeah, I remember there was an episode where they went to a like a color canyon or something like that. Oh, Rainbow oh, Canyon. Yeah, Rainbow yeah. Canyon. Yes, yes. I actually sure. also rode uh, all three Dragon Tales live stage shows, um, which toured the country and played arenas and you know other sized theaters. Um, and that was fun. You know, it's the same idea. You know, in animation, you have so much more freedom to send the character somewhere or make a character fly. It doesn't involve anything too. It's, you know, it's, I would say it's almost as easy for an animator to make a character fly as walk down the street. But when you do something live, there's so many more uh, production constraints and parameters. Uh, you know, you have people walking around in full body suits where they have to have a fan inside the suit so they don't get overheated um and you know we did have our characters fly but of course that's a rig so you know they could only do it once at the end of the show so it wasn't too complicated um but um you know the adventure and the imagination of dragon tales also was really fun you know sometimes shows have a lot of restrictions like you can only do this and you can only do that and they can only go here or there but with Dragon Tales, there was a lot more freedom um, to use your imagination in terms of creating a new environment or a new character. Um, so creatively, I would say it was very satisfying. Definitely. Absolutely. So you're also so you were also a frequent we're on a long run the PBS series between the lions. What was that show like? Oh, that was a great show. Um, Norman Stiles, thank you for hiring me and Louise Gitko. Um, <laughs> shout outs to all the people who helped along the way. You know, it's, we're, you know, we have to help each other out. Um, that was really fun. That was, I would say more like, even though it was for kids and it was kind of like a four to seven or what they'd call a bridge show. Um, the humor was very sophisticated and the writing standards were so high on that show. Like I know Norman has written for primetime comedy and the writer, the writers and the writing were so good on that show. It really made me feel like I've got to, you know, I always try to bring my A game, but um, just the comedy of the characters was so much fun. And the format was interesting in that you have a frame story, kind of like Sesame Street. You have a live action frame story and then you have, interstitial segments which are often animated or some other type of media um so it was fun to you know write a frame story and try to you know keep that going while also making it work with the interstitials i also i just remembered another sesame street project i worked on which i forgot to mention earlier which was shalom sesame uh which was Mm. also similar in that it was a live action frame story with with segments uh so I actually wrote several episodes of Shalom Sesame, which was actually probably for people like me, people who are Jewish and American, but not terribly knowledgeable about their religious uh, heritage. So I actually learned a lot, but um, that was an interesting experience because um, we had to write a sample to get the gig. And I had to write about Sukkot, which is a Jewish holiday. I think it's in the autumn, it's like a harvest holiday, but I knew absolutely nothing because my parents uh, are atheists. I didn't really get any training and I don't follow any real religious practices. So I had to figure out, I had to learn about Sukkot so I could write a writing sample. So fortunately I have 
uh, two neighbors. One is a rabbi who lives down the hall and a cantor who lives directly above me. So I put notes under both of their doors saying, help, I need to learn about Sukkot. <laughs> and the cantor was available. I think the rabbi was out of town. Uh, so the cantor brought books downstairs and he taught me. He spent several hours with me teaching me about the holiday so that I could write a sample, which happily, you know, led to my getting hired on the project. And I would say I learned more about my own heritage by writing Shalom Sesame than I ever learned at any other point in my life. And it was a series of videos um, featuring different holidays and different cultural things so that uh, people could share it with their kids and, you know, the Hebrew alphabet or, um, you know, certain foods that people eat. So anyway, that was a great Sesame experience. Um, but anyway, we were, we were talking about a different show. We were talking about Between the Lines. Uh, <laughs> I covered that one. Um, yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, and uh, Christopher Surf and Norman right. Siles are good friends and previous guests of ours. And some of the puppeteers from that show are previous guests as well. Yeah, yes. uh -huh. Oh, yeah, Pam Arciero, and she was on Allegra's window also. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And also, yes. Um, yes. The yes, guy from R. P. Robinson. Yep. Marty he Robinson. Did, he did Allegra's window Allegra. too. And and um, what's his name? Anthony Asbury. 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 He was yes. on uh, Allegra, and he was on Between the Lines. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We actually did chat with both Chris and Norman like two times. I guess one before you know normal you know, regular interview but recently we actually uh chat with them again about the we are family musical message for all so yes. it was great it was absolutely great talking to them about it. they're they're wonderful they are wonderful uh you know i spent some time with them when we when i was in orlando so you know i working for nick jr brought me down to orlando several times you know to live and work for a couple months while we were shooting at the nickelodeon studios um, and we all stayed in the same, like it was a rental apartment complex, like furnished rentals for people for, who were staying for a long time. So, you know, we used to all hang out by the pool in the complex on the weekends. Everyone had little kids at the time. And I'm sure all those kids are now, you know, well into their twenties or beyond. Uh, but it was Pam and Anthony and Marty. Um, so it was really fun when I worked on Between the Lions and I got invited to the Christmas party in the studio and to see all the same puppeteers and Tim, Tim Lagos, who played me oh, yeah. yes. on Allegra's Window and he played, I think, Barnaby B. Busterfield, the third or fourth. He was that, that talking uh, statue, the bust. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I was once, uh, you know, when we worked on Ghostwriter, we all got jackets, you know, how, how like New York shows give yeah. jackets, like Broadway mm -hmm. shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I had, I had a Ghostwriter jacket and I was wearing it one night. This must have been at least, I don't know, 15 years, maybe 20 years after I worked on the show. And I guess I was going out to dinner with my husband, walking, walking up or down Broadway at night. And all of a sudden I hear somebody say, Ghostwriter, and someone's like running after me. I'm like, what's happening? And it was a guy, <laughs> he was an adult, and he was running a theater company. I, he must have been well into his 20s, maybe in his 30s at that point. And he mentioned that he was like the artistic director of a theater company. He had watched Ghostwriter as a kid and really loved it. And he was like, if you ever write a play, submit it to me. I'll be happy to read it. And it was so fun. You know, every once in a while I'll meet an adult who grew up on one of the shows that I watched, or even my daughter. So my daughter, you know, works in television production out in LA. 
and she's friends with a, a very talented sitcom writer, her friend Annie. Um, and I guess Annie, I think she's probably in her mid thirties by now, had grown up watching Ghost Rider. So when I was out there to visit Lauren, Lauren said, oh, I want you to meet Annie and John. John uh, Annie's married to a guy named John and they're sitcom writers together as a writing team. So uh, I was gonna take them all out to dinner. So we met on the street and Annie, who's a grown up, like she, she works on, you know, more highly paid shows than I do. She came wearing a, a pen on a chain around her neck because that's what the kids did on Ghost Rider. So they always had a pen. They were always ready to read or write. So she brought her Ghost Rider pen, which I guess she'd saved from childhood. And she wore it, uh, you know, the first night we met just to show me how much she liked the show. So it's really fun to see people grow up watching your shows. And in some cases, something you did may inspire them to think about writing, for example, on a literacy show or, or just something that they remember. Definitely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of shows, what was it like working for word world oh okay so um it was relatively brief uh i worked i can't remember what season i worked on i wrote a couple episodes don moody that was don moody's show and 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 jackie moody his cousin was the story editor who's so talented and, and such a nice person um you know i only wrote a couple episodes uh so uh, I didn't work on it for very long, but it was certainly fun and it was a great concept. And I remember the office was filled with toys. You know, I guess like on the show, the concept was you make words by putting letters together and those mm -hmm. letters become characters. Mm -hmm. So the office was filled with toys of, you know, like a, like a caterpillar that, you know, with the letters, you know, C-A-T-E-R-P-I-L-L-A-R -L -L to spell caterpillar. Uh, I remember it was always fun to go to the office uh, because of all the toys. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, Word, Word World is a fun show, yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Great. And I mean, I mean, actually, previously also, <laughs> chat with some of the people who worked on that show, including um, Tyler Bunch. Yep, Tyler Nairder, Bunch. Meredith Seedlin. Meredith mm -hmm. Seedlin, um, yes. Oh, gosh. Um... Oh, oh yeah, and, and Nick Balaban. Nick Balaban, yes. He's actually who's also actually one of the composers. He's also part who's voice of Mr. Salt. He's on one of the one of the composing team from Blues Clues as well. So they're Definitely. they're wonderful. So now you also wrote for the hit entertainment series Angelina Ballerina. Can you talk a bit about that? Sure. Um so, you know, I studied ballet as a young girl and actually studied all the way through the end of college and wanted to be a ballerina. Sadly, was not, uh, I was neither physically uh, built for ballet uh, nor talented enough, but I always had a deep love of ballet and a good friend of mine danced with New York City Ballet. So I had a lot of background in ballet um, and I'm trying to remember how I got the job. Um, I honestly can't remember how it came to me, but as someone who studied ballet very seriously for many years, it was you know a really great show to work on. And I was able to bring a lot of my own childhood memories of being a ballet student. Um, it was a great company to work for, um, beautifully animated, charming. Uh, 
Um, I, they even sent me to London once. Uh, so I wrote a bunch of episodes for the show and then I, did I story edit? I don't know if I story edited. I think I just wrote a whole bunch of episodes. Um, but I also wrote an Angelina Ballerina movie, or, you know, direct-to-movie. It did not go into the theater. Um, but they sent me to London to oversee the records for that. So that was really fun. Oh, wow. I think I oversaw hmm. someone else's movie, too. Like, I only wrote one of them, but we recorded two. So I had to kind of go to the recording studio. It was like a very cold basement in London in the middle of a freak snowstorm that had, like, tied up all transportation i remember like having a coat over me while listening to british actors uh do all the roles um and i also got to write songs for that you know i writing songs and lyrics is something that's been kind of uh something i've done throughout my my career on various shows um so it was also fun to have written lyrics for songs and then to watch the actors record them I think I also had laryngitis at the time. So that was hard, like giving notes. <laughs> I was like, thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So now in addition to writing series, you also developed a few series, including the shows uh, Harold and the Purple Crayon, as you mentioned, and uh, Todd World. What went into developing those shows? The developing is, you know, a whole different animal. You know, that's the very early stages of a show, um, you know, Sometimes you'll get a, a book or a book series that somebody has optioned and they want to turn it into a television show. Or sometimes there's been a previous round of development that was not successful. So they bring in a new writer to try to give it a different take. Um, so, you know, that's basically the challenge is how do you either take something that exists, like Harold of the Purple Crayon, which is an iconic book. I think there might have been a few, more than one book. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a different challenge when it's a known property, like a book series like Harold of the Purple Crayon versus Todd World, which was based on the art style of Todd Parr, who's a very talented uh, book uh, author and illustrator. Um, in the case of something that already exists, like Harold and the Purple Crayon, the question is, how do you take something that might exist? Like books are usually very simple and short. And how do you give it enough meat to fill an 11-minute or a 22-minute episode? How do you make it active enough? Find ways to flesh it out while still, while not taking it too far from what made it a successful book. Or, you know, sometimes it could be based on a toy or something. Like, it's the balance between fleshing it out so it's appropriate and works well and is more, you know, physically active, goes further, you know, further out than a book. Uh, but, but so that people who love the book still feel like you've done it justice and not taken it too far away from what they loved in the first place. And then on the other hand, you know, something that doesn't exist yet, that's even more challenging because you have to create a world. You have to create characters. You have to create the rules of the world. Like, how does this place work? Um, you know, I would say it's a very challenging uh, task as a creative person to do. And then once you figure it all out or, you know, to the, to the uh, satisfaction of yourself and anyone you're working with, then you have to take it out and pitch it. And that is both uh, stressful and often heartbreaking in that, you know, as often writers, you know, like to be in their own quiet space, doing their own thing, commuting with their keyboard. Um, but pitching is more like acting, you know, I'm grateful for the years I spent as an actress because, 
uh, it's something you have to draw upon to project, you know, not just communicate what the idea is, but communicate your passion for it and your vision for it um, and make, get somebody else excited. You know, when people, you know, execs at uh, different networks here pitches many times a day and I'm sure say no to almost everything. So, you know, when you've worked on something and you pour your heart and soul into it and, you know, sometimes it looks like the network's going to buy it and then something changes at the last minute, the network changes their strategy or someone gets fired or someone goes on maternity leave or the company gets sold, you know, so there's so many instances where when you develop something on the rare occasion when it looks like someone might do your show then there's even more reasons why it might not happen in the end so to sell a show is so deeply satisfying and so difficult um and then once you do sell a show you know and that only happens i don't know what the percentage is but you know just a very small percentage of the time then there's a whole new set of challenges which is okay we developed it we have an idea of what we think this show is, but then there's a whole new set of challenges in producing a show and uh, getting it out the door. Definitely. Interesting. So another series you served as head writer, speaking of HBO, was the series A Little Curious. Do you kind of talk about that, what that's about in case people don't know and what sure. it was like working on that? So before there was Max, there was HBO Max, and before HBO Max, there was HBO Family. So that was the kids uh, part of HBO. I think it's still still part of the linear channel. Um, so there was about a five-year span in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, where HBO was dedicating quite a bit of resources to children's programming. Uh, they had a bunch of shows. Uh, so a little curious was a preschool show. It was a combination of different forms of media, live action, animation, primarily animation, but there were some live segments uh, like field pieces with little kids in different environments. And it was a conceptual show. And Sheila Nevins, who was the head of HBO Kids at the time, um, I, I've been in her office. I've never seen so many Oscars, Emmys, Peabody coins, like literally she's the most awarded person in show business, I think and so talented. Um, anyway, she had this notion for a show where we would teach preschoolers basic concepts, like um, it was always a pair of opposing concepts, like in and out, and then some random concept, like, uh, oh, I don't know, top. And we would then explore through short segments, like all the possible meanings of something, like top could mean on top of, it could mean a top that you're spinning, it could mean, can you top this, you know, do something better than someone else. So we kind of, it was kind of a comedy variety sketch format show. Um, and the, the main characters were inanimate objects come to life. So there was, the main character was Bob the Ball. There was a family of shoes, like a pair of Oxford shoes were the dad. The mom was a pair of pumps. And the two little girls were Lacey and Mary Jane. Lacey was a pair of kid sneakers. And Mary Jane was like a little pair of little girls, Mary Jane shoes. Um, pad and pencil were kind of a, a European couple, you know, kind of lovers, uh, you know, it was kind of a variety of weird characters. And we just had a, a kind of a mishmash of different short comedy or musical segments dealing with the concepts of that particular episode. 
I think it's still on. I still get uh, residuals for the all the songs. I wrote 22 songs on the show. Uh, so it's nice to still still get a check every now and then. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Awesome. But I, I'll just so... say one other thing about the show. Uh, it was produced by Curious Pictures, which was, uh, I don't think it's still around, but at the time it was on Lafayette Street downtown. Such a fun place to work. Of all the, the places I've ever worked, Steve Oaks was one of the four partners and the director of the show. Uh, you know, we had the animators in-house, like often the animation is sent away to a foreign country and you never get to see the animators, but everybody who worked on the show was in the same place. So I think it really built a good esprit de corps. Definitely. Yes. Absolutely. So what was it like getting to write for I Spy? Oh, so that was another uh, HBO series. That was stop motion. I'll just say, personally, my favorite form of animation is stop motion. When I was a kid, I used to watch Gumby and Davy and Goliath. You guys probably never even saw that, but they were both stop motion shows that were on in the 60s, just to date myself. Um, and I Spy was also a stop motion show. You know, I just think it's so amazing that you don't just draw a character, somebody designs a character and someone builds the character, someone puts hair on the character's head strand by strand and paints the character. You know, there's so much love. Love goes into every form of animation, but uh, with stop motion, it's like physically tangible. Um, and that was a fun show. Yeah, I only only wrote a couple episodes. Tish Robbie was the uh, story editor on that. One of the nicest people I've ever ever met. And um, all I could, that one was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And one of the uh, newer shows you developed and wrote for was the Noggin App series Kinderwood. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, that show was developed with Nick Jr. and Titmouse Animation. It was created by Otto Tang, who is a, uh, he's an animator, he is a character, he's a designer, and a true artist, I will say. Um, and so I guess they had done some development on it, and I think the guy who had developed it before I came on was not available to continue, so they brought it to me. And it was um, basically kind of a, a very young child's way of looking at the world. Like what do they understand or not understand and just take a simple concept and just make it very touching and very poignant. And I'll say, you know, we can go back and talk about Tumble Leaf because that was kind of yeah. a precursor for me for Kinderwood. But having worked on Tumble Leaf and the creator of that show, Drew Hodges is just a true artist. Like I realized how much I love working with a true artist. And by that, I don't mean someone who simply draws to make a living, but someone who has a creative vision, a distinctive art style. And Otto on Kinderwood was very much that person and collaborating with him was so much fun. Um, and then I, I actually worked with him subsequently. Uh, I think he was the art director on Duck and Goose, which is currently on Apple, Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus. Um, but uh, that show was a pleasure. You know, sometimes you work on a show and there's a difficult person or a particularly difficult aspect to working on that show. But I can say that Kinderwood was actually one of those rare shows where everything goes smoothly. You get along really well with everyone. It was super respectful and supportive. Titmouse was a great studio. Um, 
And I'm really proud of, of what we did. You know, they ended up putting it on Noggin and I don't know how many people have seen the show, but, um, but I, you know, I feel like that's one of the more artistically satisfying shows that I've gotten to work on. Of course. Absolutely. Of course, absolutely. So as we're getting close to wrapping up here, are there any words you'd like to say to those who supported or followed your career or any of the projects you've worked on over the years? Oh, well, you know, um, I actually had a conversation just a few nights ago with someone who may hire me to, to consult on a project. And um, I'm going to guess she's in her late 30s or early 40s. And the first thing she said when we got on Zoom was, you know, I just have to fangirl. I love Ghost Rider. I love Gullah Gullah Island. And sometimes when my daughter has trouble going to sleep, I sing her the Gullah Gullah Island theme song, which I thought was so Oh, cool. oh sure. wow. Not exactly a lullaby, but she might have sung it for yeah, not, not, <laughs> a lullaby. not exactly a lullaby, but whatever works. I know, but... Um, but, you know, hearing her say that was so moving to me because, you know, you can see I'm in my little office off the kitchen. The reason I had to turn off my camera so I could go turn off the dryer because it was beeping and mm. it was going, um, you know, no you know I, work, I work in my apartment, you know, I don't, I see my husband and, you know, I go out and see people when I go out in the world, but, you know, I work in this little space in my home and, you know, I send off the things I work on and, you know, I'll watch them when they go on the air and stuff. But I never really think about the fact that there's people on the other end watching and, you know, responding or being inspired by it. So I just have to say thank you so much for, uh, you know, for watching anything I've done, for, you know, telling me that it's had some positive influence on your life in some way. Uh, I hope it has at the very least. I hope you've been entertained. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm also happy anytime someone says, you know, I made me want to be a writer. So, you know, a lot of those people are out making their own content right now. So hit hmm. me up. Let me know what you're working on. I'll watch your stuff too. <laughs> nice. Oh, Great. Wonderful. Awesome. So if people would like to connect with you, where can people find you? Oh, um, I would say you can find me on Instagram. I believe it's Karen Greenberg 4090. By all means, uh, ask, ask to connect. Nice. And links to that will be in the description down below for people to connect. So the last question that I'm about to ask is the question we ask all of our guests at the end. Um, so, of course, this podcast is called Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. When you think of nostalgia, what do you think of or how would you define the word nostalgia? Oh, wow. That's a great one. Uh, a yearning for the past, I guess. Or I guess yearning for your own past uh, or happier days left behind. Uh, but I also think it's important to also look forward. <laughs> um, you know, you can't live in the past. So I would say take, take whatever positive you can from the past and incorporate that as you move forward. Definitely. Absolutely. There you go. Thank you very much. Great words signed on. Great words. Well, Karen, thank awesome. you so much for uh, taking the time to do this interview. This was a blast. Yes. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you very much, you know, for being on and, and you know, for what you've done, you know, especially the shows that you've been doing growing up. It's just wonderful for, 
wonderful. And thank you so much for, for what you've you done to be a part of our lives and keep up your great work. And cannot wait what's, what's next in store for you for your upcoming broad projects. Yeah, so Weather Hunters. Look for Weather Hunters on PBS sometime in 2025. Nice. Oh, nice. Oh my so, gosh. Nice. <laughs> Look forward to it. Looking, looking I, don't, forward. I don't know if we talked about it, but Al Roker, America's Weatherman, created this uh, series and it's a uh, family comedy with weather curriculum, earth science nice. curriculum. Oh, that's cool. Nice. Looking forward nice. to it. Well, awesome. That's great. Looking forward to it. Well, keep in touch, Karen. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll let you know when this goes out. Thank you so much. Nice to meet Thank you. Thank you. Nice you too. Bye, Bye. Karen. Bye. 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 Yes. Goodbye from us as well. Yes, we absolutely yes, enjoyed indeed. our time with Karen Greenberg. Uh, keep on the lookout for more wonderful interviews coming your way. And as, as always, always, what do we say, Jake? <laughs> keep the Saja alive. Take care, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep nostalgia alive. Bye-bye. <laughs>